So, uh, so excited to be with you guys today and to celebrate what God has done. I said this first service, uh, we did this video last year when we turned one, asking one thing people love. Uh, two years in and not one single person has said the quality of preaching. And so I'm working on it. Don't get rid of me yet. Um, but I'm excited to be here. In fact, I'm so excited that I have, in all of my years, I have never worn a tie to church once. And today, you know, I just thought, you know, that we'd have some fun. Uh, and so uh, before we get into it, I wanted to share a little bit about where we've come. You want to put up the first uh, picture there. Uh, before we launched New City Church, Christine and I used to live right across the street in a townhome. Uh, this is where we met as we were getting started trying to figure out what in the world that we were actually doing. Uh, and so if you want to go to the next uh, picture, uh, and, and this is what the space looked like when we moved in. So there was a church here before us, and pictures don't really do it justice. I wish we could do like the virtual reality goggles thing where you could walk around and see just how much has changed. There was purple everywhere. Uh, and even in this room, stage, carpet, chairs, there's lots of purple. But that's what it looked like when we moved in. Uh, and then recently in our group, staff group me chat, somebody said, can we just take a moment and see like how much things have changed? And so this was the before picture. Uh, we'll show the other one after in a second. So again, we're in here. We clean the stuff out. We're trying to paint the walls, trying to figure out stuff. Uh, go to the next one. This was the uh, lobby. So there actually used to be a wall there. Uh, we took the wall down ourselves, as you could tell, until a professional had to come and actually finish the job. But that was a lot of fun beforehand. Uh, if you want to go to the next one, this was uh, launch day at New City Church. And so a little bit different in here from when we began, but this was the first Sunday two years ago uh, when we started New City Church. This is what the space looked like. Uh, and then lastly, here is the after picture. And so this is where we are today, um, and so excited about that. And, and I share that not just to say, oh, hey, look, this is cool. You know, the space has changed. My hope is this, that if you uh, have been part of New City for a while, maybe since two years or maybe for the past few months, my hope is that in somehow in some way you've seen Jesus change you the way we've seen uh, this space change, that you've grown, taken steps, and grown closer to Jesus, whatever that might have looked like for you, uh, my prayer is that you've also seen that as well. And so thank you for being here today on our two-year uh, birthday as a church. If you will, grab a Bible. There's a black one around you if you don't have one, or you can follow along in your phone. Uh, we're in a series right now called Masterclass. Now, we started this series at uh, the beginning of January, and so we're, what, three or four months into it now. Uh, ne after next week, we're going to take a short break for Easter, then we have a different uh, short series that we're going to do. Uh, and when we started at the beginning of the year, like, I didn't know, you know, what weeks would fall on what weeks. And uh, just to prove to you, I want to prove to you something here. Have you been, have you been part of New City this year, you know we've been talking about this idea of just one, that we want to be intentional with just at least one person in our life that we're loving, that we're serving, that we're inviting to New City Church, uh, with the goal by the end of the year that 250 people would experience the gospel every weekend here at New City Church. And that's the reason that's the goal is because that we would actually hit that before the year is out if we were all able to do that. And uh, to show you, again, to prove to you again that it's not about the number uh, it's not about the number of 250. It's more about just creating a culture where we love people and share the gospel and share Jesus with them. Uh, if you were to say, Dylan, two years at New City Church, you can preach on any text that you want to preach. Uh, the one that we're reading today is probably not the very last, but it's probably in the bottom five. Okay, so if it was all about the numbers and not faithfulness, I would have picked something else. But it, as it has it, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you're about to find out why this would not have been my text of choice. And so go ahead and open up there. We're in pa uh, page 1013 if, you have, if you're using one of those black Bibles. 
Uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, Paul, who wrote uh, 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, uh, the last few uh, passages we've been looking at have been all about how we're supposed to follow Jesus. And Paul even says, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about uh, never messing up, but it's about humbling ourselves, searching after Jesus, you know, uh, repenting when we fall short. And he says, basically, don't be arrogant, but instead be humble and follow Jesus. And then here's what he says, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. Is that it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now, let me just define what that is so we're on the same page here. Uh, sexual immorality, it's interesting to me. One of the, I guess one of the pet peeves I have about our culture today is we kind of put God in this box. Like he's this little person that we only ask if we need help for, and he's kind of dumb, he's kind of outdated. He doesn't really know anything, especially when it comes to uh, a biblical sexual ethic. And what I just want us to know is this, that if God created us, and loves us, and not only desires our joy, but it desires us to experience true life, then when he says things like, I've decided sex is a great thing, that is, I desire, I designed to make pleasurable, to have kids, and to be a thing that brings two people together, like, I created it that way, and because I know how powerful and life-giving it could be, uh, the best way to experience life through sexual relationships is between a covenantal relationship, a marriage between one man and one woman. God is not being prudish. He's not trying to restrict us. He's not not trying to hold us back. He's simply saying, I, this is how I created it to be. And if you want to see it flourish, if you want to experience oh, how I designed sexual relations to be to their fullest, this is what I want it to look like. And so in the Corinthians, uh, in this church, there is sexual morality among it. So in Genesis chapter one, chapter two, we see uh, how God defines marriage between a man and a woman. Jesus uh, uh, echoes that in, in Matthew. And so what's happening is in the Corinthian church, there's people that are being sexually immoral. But it's not just that. He continues and says this. And it's the kind of sexual immorality that's not even tolerated among the Gentiles. In other words, it's not even tolerated among those who do not know Christ. Now, a little history lesson really quick. It's kind of funny. It seems like in our culture today, we kind of feel like sex was invented in the 60s. Like before then, like people didn't do it. And then like the hippie movement came and everyone has sex all the time. And now it's this crazy thing and our culture is obsessed with it. And it is true. But it has actually been much worse. If you think the Roman Empire, even in Corinth, where Paul is writing this letter, there were temples to goddesses and to goddesses of lust and love. There are prostitutes that you would sleep with as an act of worship. Like it was even crazier than it was today. And so if Paul is saying that it's not even, even non-Christians would look at that and be like, bro, I don't even know, I would, I'm not even down with that. It's got to be crazy, right? And so here it is, ready? Here's, here's what's going on. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So happy two years to New City Church, okay? So a man is sleeping with his father's wife. So that's, a, that's a, obviously a, a big deal. Now we know from the text, if we read chapter 5 in its entirety, which we're going to split up between this week and next week because it's too long, but I would recommend coming for both to really get a full picture of what Paul is saying here. But what we know is that uh, this man is sleeping with his stepmother. Now we're not sure where his father is, if he has passed away, if he is gone. We're not sure what he is. Uh, we also know that this woman is not a believer. And so Paul is writing to this man because this man is a part of the Corinthian church. And so he's bringing to attention what is going on here. But the thing is that this uh, was not a one-time affair, nor was it something that was being held in secret that was just found out. In fact, what was happening is that this man was sleeping with his stepmother in an open way that they were, they were not even hiding it. They were saying, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to do this. So there's this a very egregious sin, number one. And number two, they're open about it and they're not going to stop and they don't really care what anyone thinks, right? And the thing is, is we're not quite sure why the Corinthian church wasn't addressing it. But they weren't. They knew what was happening, and they didn't do anything with it. And so Paul says this in verse 2. He says, and you are arrogant, right? So he's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be feel, uh, filled with grief 
and remove from your congregation the one who did this. Now, the remove from your congregation we'll talk about next week, but the point is simply this. Why have you not done anything about this? Because not only is it not good for this man, it's also not good for the church. Why are you not doing anything about it? Why are you being so arrogant to say it doesn't matter? Now, have you ever done something and got found out or got in trouble and someone's like, why did you did this? And you're like, I don't know. Why did I do that? That was really dumb. Has that ever happened? Uh, this recently happened with my daughter, Finley. Oh, this is so cute. She's almost four. And we have a son named Roman who's just, uh, just turned one. And one day, uh, she really wanted to drink some milk, like, you know, some milk from the fridge or whatever. And we told her no because we only had a little bit left, and it was for Roman because we didn't want to run out. And so she asked me, and then she asked Christina, you know, her mom, and she asked me again. And we just basically said, Finley, please stop asking. The answer is no. We don't have enough. So a few minutes later, I'm in, my be- I'm in our bedroom. I don't know if Christina was in the bedroom with me or if she was somewhere else. And I walk out of the bedroom, and I see Finley sitting on the floor in the living room next to Roman, drinking his sippy cup of milk. And so I walk up, and I'm like, Finley. And she's like, like looks at me, like didn't know I was there. And the thing is, Finley's so awesome because she's one of those people that w- doesn't want to get in trouble and wants to please people. And so I was like, why did you do that? She starts crying. You know, she gets in trouble. And after she calms down a little bit, I said, Finley, we told you not to drink Roman's milk. Why did you drink Roman's milk? And she looks at me and she goes, I didn't see that you could see me when I was doing it. (laughs) I was like, at least she's honest, right? She didn't think, well, I forgot or well. She's like, no, I thought you were in the other room and I thought I could get away with it, right? So she didn't have, she didn't have an answer. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, this dude is doing something that's not even good for him. It's also not good for the church and you're not doing anything about it. Why are you not doing anything about it? And so here's what I want us to know this morning as we read this text. You may be thinking, okay, uh, I'm not sleeping with my stepmother, so I'm good there. What does this actually mean for me? Here's what I want us to know as we're looking into this. That sin is never personal. The point here is that sin is never personal. You know, so often in our culture today, here's we live in a hyper-individualistic culture. We tend to say, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, I can do whatever I want, which usually is an excuse to do something I know I'm not supposed to do, but it sounds good if I do this. And what we need to know, that in no world is it possible for you to do anything that does not in some how or some way impact people around you. It may just be people close to you, maybe be somebody at work, but everything you do impacts other people, which is why this is such a big deal. It's not just that this guy is doing something that's pretty bad, but it's because it's impacting the church. And if nobody does anything, it's going to be bad for everybody. Like, let me give you a couple of examples to show you that nothing you do is personal. One, uh, maybe big one in our culture today, let's uh, talk about pornography, right? It's like, it's just between me and a screen. So I'm not hurting anybody else when I do this. What's wrong with that? Well, two things. One, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but a large percentage of women who are in the sex uh, industry are actually sex slaves. I would be so far. I would go so far as to argue that if you have watched pornography at all, I guarantee you, you have seen sex slavery before your eyes and didn't even know it. And so our culture is all against sex slavery, which is true. But you can't be against sex slavery and be pro pornography in the same sentence. That those things do not go together. But let's even take that away for a second, right? Let me just talk to the guys. I know pornography is an issue for men and for women, uh, but I'm a man. I spend a lot of time talking to men. Here's how I know, this is what I know about men, that if you watch pornography and you know this to be true, it is impossible for you to look at women in your day-to-day life the same. It is impossible, and you know it. 
You may not say anything, you may not act on it, but you look at women differently, you treat them differently, you're looking at their body differently. Every single woman you see in public is different if you're watching pornography. Again, nothing you do stays just with you. Sin is never personal, right? I'll give you another example. Maybe you know somebody who's really bad with their money, and they say, well, it's my money, I can do whatever I want, but then eventually they get into a bad spot, and so they need family or friends to buy them groceries or to do this or that for them, and maybe... Maybe the family and friends are happy to do that because they, they want good for that person, but eventually it impacts other people. Sin never stays just between you. It doesn't even stay just between you and God. It always impacts other people, which is so countercultural to what we think today, but it's true, right? Even going back to the example with Finley drinking milk. Now, you know, she's almost four. Like, she doesn't think of it in this, in this regard, but she might say something like this. You told me not to drink milk. But I was sitting, you know, in the living room, and Roman's sippy cup was on the floor. I didn't even take it from him. Like, I'm not hurting anybody else. I'm not doing anything else, right? It's just between, I'm just drinking this milk. But here's what happened. If we run out of milk, then Roman has no milk. Now, obviously, you know, I'm going to go to the grocery store. We're going to buy milk. But I don't want to do that, right? I want to wait till Christina has to do it when she goes grocery shopping. Because uh, I'm loving, right? And so I don't want to do that, right? And so that's the thing, though, right? And, that, and that's innocent and that's small. But even that impacts other people. Everything you do impact somebody else. Do not buy into the lie that you are an autonomous person that does not impact those around you. So sin is never personal. And with that, here's why this is so important for us to know, that sin is serious because it impacts our soul. Sin is serious because it impacts our soul. It impacts our relationship with God. Now, the good thing is God loves us and gives us grace. He knows that we're not perfect, so he desires us to come back to him. But even in the moments of sin, it changes our relationship with God. It may even change our relationship with others. And one of the reasons, we don't know this for sure, but one of the reasons that the Corinthian church may not have addressed this sin issue with this man is because they were really big into a philosophy that we're also actually big into our culture today. Now, we we may not know the word for it, you may not use it, but it's the same kind of idea, this idea of dualism. So they believe that the mind and the body were separate entities, did not impact each other at all, or that the body and the soul were separate entities, they did not impact each other at all. So in this case, this man could say, I'm going to sleep with my stepmother, I'm going to do those things, then I'm going to gather with the church on Sundays or do whatever they did in the first century, right? Because it's separate. It's, it's doing one thing here, one thing here, but they do not interact, right? So in our culture today, uh, we see this in how we compartmentalize everything we do, right? So you have maybe your personal life and your private life and your work life and your hobbies and your relationship with your friends and then your relationship with others and everything is, and you, you maybe you have a relationship with God. And so everything is compartmentalized to certain sections and certain parts of your life. It's why we can say, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but be crazy Saturday night or Monday, right? Because we think none of these things impact each other. Now, to be clear, we'll talk about this at the end, there is grace for us. God is not expecting perfection in any way, but we need to know that everything we do not only impacts us here on earth, but also impacts our relationship with God. It is important because it impacts everything and everybody, not just ourselves. Again, sin is serious because it is never personal. It's not just about us, which is why Paul is bringing to attention what is going on here in the church. And so if we continue, verse 3, here's what Paul says. He says, even though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. In other words, he's not there physically, so he's writing them this letter. As one, uh, uh, as one who, is already, who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. He said, you guys haven't done anything about it, but I'm going to tell you that this isn't right. So I'm going to place judgment on the situation. Verse 4, 
Uh, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one, so hand this man, over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that, this, uh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Now, again, here's what's probably going on here. Apparently, again, that not only was this man committing this horrendous sin, but he was using his Christian freedom to justify it. He could have been saying, like, I'm good, or I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. It does not matter. And Paul's saying, look, this guy's not even hiding. Like, we all know that this is not uh, what people that follow Jesus should be engaged in. Now, there is some debate here in verse 5 when he says, hand that one over to Satan to the, for the destruction of the flesh. What does Paul actually mean there? But likely, whatever he's actually talking about, likely the point is simply this, that again, Paul is not only looking out for the individual, but he's also looking out for the church. The hope is that if this man is, is kind of, again, removed from the congregation, taken out of the church, that he would see his sin for what it is. He would see that it matters. And although it may embarrass him, although it may bring shame to him for a while, ultimately, hopefully, it will bring him back into a relationship with Jesus. So it'll be good for him, but it'll also be good for the church because just like us individually, us corporately, the church should also be striving to grow more like Jesus. And here's what we know. We cannot grow more like Jesus with unrepentant sin. Now, yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we're going to fall short. Yes, we're going to blow it. But if we're going to act like it doesn't matter, that is going to hinder us from growing, uh, from going, uh, growing closer to Jesus. I mean, think of it this way, right? You're maybe you're like a Roman and you've got a friend that's following Jesus and you're really interested about what this Jesus thing even is, like in this century, right? And so you eventually go to one of their Sunday gatherings, or you're hanging out with a bunch of people, right? And you, you go and then you find out that somebody in the church is doing something that you even think is crazy. Like you would have no desire, no inclination to come back. You'd have no desire to grow closer to know anything more about Jesus because you're thinking, man, if people do that and they don't okay with it, they're they're okay with it. Why would I want to follow Jesus? Again, this is bad for the man involved, but it is also bad for the church. And here is why it's bad for the church. And it's not just an individual thing, but a corporate thing. He says this, continuing in verse 6. He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Now, I'm not a baker or anything like this, but the reality is, here's, here's what leaven is if you're not quite sure. It's, a, it's like a rising agent. It's kind of like yeast, right? In this culture and in this time period, in this area of the world, they didn't have yeast. They used leaven. You put a little bit of leaven, and I used this analogy in the first service, and nobody like corrected me too much, so I'm going to use it again. Think of it like this, right? So you have bread, and you want it to rise. So think of it like a tortilla, like just flat, like doesn't do anything, it's just there, right? And if you put some leaven in it or maybe some yeast in our situation or whatever, it rises into a nice golden chocolate chip muffin. Now, <laughs> it probably needs more than just like leaven to get there, but you know what I mean. It's just, it's not flat anymore, right? It, it rises, right? So what Paul's saying here is that all you need is a little bit of leaven and it will change the, the, the product, it will change this into a, 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 bo- a loaf of bread that is rising, it's no longer flat. And so in verse seven, he says this, so clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with leaven of malice and evil, which is what's happening right here, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It's kind of like this. Like think of, uh, the te- you, you ever play the game telephone when you were a kid? Right, and what happens is, especially if you were the first person to start it, like you would say something and whisper, whisper, gets to the end, and by the end, it's something completely different than what you started out with, right? And completely different. And often, it's kind of funny. It's like, how in the world did it get to become such something that was so different than how it started? But here's how it starts, right? You whisper something into someone's ear, 
They whisper to the next year, and they might only miss one, uh, one letter. They add one letter to a word. And then it's a syllable. And then it's a word. And then it's a phrase. And by the end of it, you have something completely unrecognizable. All it took was a little bit to change the whole thing, right? And back then, especially this time, and I don't know if it's true today because, again, I don't know anything about baking. But back then, what they would do is they put some leaven in some dough, and then they would take that dough and put it in another batch of dough. And they would take some from that dough and put it into another batch of dough. And so what happens is if you have bad leaven, not only is that one loaf uh, of dough messed up, but everything is messed up. It doesn't just stay individual. It spreads to everybody else in close proximity to everybody else involved. And so what Paul is saying here is that don't let your, le- your, your dough have leaven of malice and evil. You need to do something with it because it not only infects or affects the individual, it affects the corporate body as well. I think, uh, so I think what he's saying here is simply this, uh, that you and I need to, the, the point here is this, that you and I need to uh, remember who we are, to walk in what we are, and to become what we are. In other words, he's saying this, that Christ has came, right, to give us grace, forgiveness, and mercy, that you and I are children of God. And so, not that we need to be perfect, but we need to walk in that, that we need to follow Jesus, that we need to be doing things that will grow us closer to Jesus. And the Corinthian church has forgotten who they are, and so therefore they're doing things that they should not be doing. One commentator on this passage puts it this way. He says this, uh, the death of Christ makes them new, yet they must get rid of the old in order to be new, precisely because in Christ they are already new. In other words, they need to remember who they are. They've forgotten who they are. They're acting like people that they aren't. And here's the thing. Think of like every movie, like every great movie that you can think of follows this same trajectory. Like you have the hero or you have the main character who's supposed to walk in some great destiny and then they forget who they are. Then you have someone who comes along and reminds them of who they are and then happily ever after. Like, uh, for example, Lion King, right? I think most of us have seen Lion King. Finley's obsessed with that right now and they're making a new one this summer. And, um, And Lion King, what happens? You have Simba who's like the little lion cub, and his dad, Mufasa. And eventually, Scar kills Mufasa and kind of makes Simba think it's his fault. So Simba runs into the woods with Timon and Pumbaa, the farting pig. It's all I remember about him. And in fact, it's a side note, but when I was a kid, uh, you know the song where Timon and Pumbaa, Hukuna Matata, Hukuna Matata, whatever it is. And the part where, where Pumbaa's like, and no one ever stood downwind, and he's all sad. And I used to think, why? Like, what's wrong with downwind? Why is nobody standing downwind from Pumbaa? He just wants some friends, right? I didn't understand the whole... Get it? Like he farts? Okay. Anyway, so, so Simba finds himself hanging out with these dudes, right, in the woods, doing whatever you do in the woods, eating bugs, which is unrealistic. A lion would never eat bugs. But anyway, unless he's gluten-free. I don't know. And so he's eating these bugs, and then eventually, somehow, uh, Nala finds him. And it's like, oh, I thought you were dead. What are you doing here? You're the king. And she has to remind Simba who he is so that he would come back home and lead the pride land. The reality is he was always the king, but he had forgotten that. He had run away from it, and so he was not acting in accordance. He was not living into, in accordance of who he was. And Paul is trying to just remind us here that you need to be who you are. You need to live and walk in who you are. By doing this, by allowing this to happen and do nothing with it, you are not being who you're supposed to be. You're not becoming more like Jesus. And so here is why you and I need to know that sin is never personal. Here's why. Uh, because your actions will bring life or death to those around you. Your actions will bring life or death to those around you. And in our super hyper-individualistic culture, we look at that and say, Dylan, that sounds a little dramatic. But it's not dramatic, it's true. 
everything you do somehow, in some way, impacts people around you. And oftentimes, it starts small, and it's a small thing that ends up can, can wreaking havoc in your life. Think of it this way. Uh, think of maybe some of the biggest issues or weaknesses or struggles you have in your life today. Maybe something that you can't quite shake, and you've been trying to, but it keeps coming back, and maybe a habit, addiction, whatever it might be. I would be willing to bet that that thing started uh, way smaller than it, than it became, right? It became, it started as something that, you know, I was going to just, I was, maybe you're, maybe a pornography is a struggle with you, and you're like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing it, and I'm trying really hard, and I can't keep stopping. And what happens oftentimes, I bet, is it probably started as something small, you were bored, you watched one thing, and then it became a weekly thing, and then a daily thing, and then a multiple times a day thing, and it's something that you do not want, you wish it wasn't the way that it was, but it didn't start that way didn't start that way. It became something that you didn't want it to become because even a small action will ultimately bring life or death to you and to those around you. I, I, I like the quote, and I'm not sure who said it. A lot of people have been attributed to it, uh, but it says this. It says, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Again, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It always starts small, right? Affairs often happen that way. There, there, was, there was no desire to do anything bad, but it was a lingering conversation at work, turned into multiple lingering conversations at work, to, to dinners, and all of a sudden you've, you've done something that you wish you had never done. Maybe you speak poorly about others often, and it's because you want to make yourself appear better than other people, and you know you shouldn't do it, and you wish you shouldn't do it, but you've, you've become this thing of you're trying to protect your image, you're trying to be something, and so you've, you've created this struggle, this issue in your life that you wish wasn't what it, what you wish wasn't there, and it didn't start that way. It always started small. So it is true that your and I's actions will either bring life or death to those around us, so we have to take it seriously. And if that's true, Right? If that's true, that sin is never personal and it impacts lots of people, maybe not right away, but eventually, here's what we need to do with this text. Here's what we need to do if that's true. Here's what. That we need to commit to community. That you and I need to commit to community because that is where, uh, that is where we actually see life change happen. I remember when I was in college one year, I had a group of friends, and we said, okay, we want to take sexual purity seriously. And so it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a, an accountability thing. Like if somebody watched porn or something happened, like we talk about it, we pray for each other and be like, hey, man, you know, let's keep fighting the fight or whatever. And what's interesting, here's what's interesting about that, those, the group of friends that I had, that it wasn't, it wasn't the accountability or like if I blew it, I'd have to tell someone that like, that helped us stay strong. It's the fact that we were doing it together. It's the fact that we were living for, the fact that we were supporting, the fact that we were encouraging one another that made all the difference. I, even me personally in my life, I, in seasons where I'm not maybe part of a community group or I'm not being intentional about talking about you know, my faith with some of my close friends who are also followers of Jesus, are the times that I often find myself furthest from Jesus because it is community that makes all the difference. I even say, and I, maybe some people don't like this, but it's true, like if you're new to this whole Jesus thing or you're maybe a new believer and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, yes, it is very important to read the Bible. I think it's a great thing to do, but sometimes it can be confusing. I would say, man, it is more important for you to be in a community, maybe in a community group, but be around other followers of Jesus is actually more important for a new believer than reading their Bible so they can actually see what does it look like to follow Jesus? What do we do when we blow it? How do we encourage and love one another? You and I need to commit to community, and here's why. Here's why we need to commit to community, because the antidote for living in sin is living for others. The antidote for living in sin is living for others. Here's the thing about sin. Sin 
always starts and always is selfish. It's always like, even in that moment, I want what's best for me. I don't care how it affects my relationship with God. I don't care how it affects other people. In this moment, I want what I want. I'll do whatever, even if I know it is wrong, to get it, right? I'm all about me. That's what sin is. That's what happens when we sin. And so if you want to fight sin in your life, you need to be living for others. You need to be living for others. This is what Paul says. Again, verse 6. I'll read it again. He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, Paul's saying this, don't be puffed up. Don't be puffed up and look special and look cool when on the inside you're, you're rotting. On the inside you're full of mold. On the inside you're something that is not good. Instead of humble yourself and pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. So again, the antidote for living for sin or living in sin is living for others, right? And so there's a couple ways you could do this at New City Church. Maybe you're new and you're just checking us out. Well, in three weeks, we have something called our partnership our partnership class and lunch. We do this every other month. It's going to be on April 22nd or 28th um, after the second service. We have free childcare and free lunch. So maybe that just sounds great to you. So you can come for that as well. Well, What we do these classes, we just share with you what we believe, who we are, what does it look like to get involved. It's a great first step if you're considering joining a community. Or one thing, another thing you could do is maybe you could take a bigger step and join a community group. Community groups meet weekly in different people's homes throughout uh, throughout the Raleigh area. And it's not about it's not about a bunch of super spiritual people coming together and memorizing the Bible and doing all these things. It's just people who are saying, listen, I need community, I need encouragement, and that is where friendships are formed. Maybe you should join a community group so you can be in a community where you're not just living and focusing on yourself. Or maybe you can serve. Here's, here's the thing at New City Church, maybe your next step is joining a serve team. If you call New City Church home, you may have picked up on this, maybe not, I don't know, but we talk about money a lot. And I, and I don't feel bad about talking about it. Even what we see, if you're here for the trivia game in the beginning of service, right? One of our values is grateful people give. It is about financial generosity. And here's why. I do not care about your money. I do not care about your money, but I care about your heart. And Jesus says what you and I do with our money is the biggest indicator of where our heart is. And so we want people to be generous, not so we can keep the lights on. We want people to be generous because it grows our relationship and it grows our trust in God. It's a good thing for you to be generous. Same thing with serving. We want people to serve at New City Church, not so we can have enough adults in Little City or someone at the door. Like those things are good, but the main reason, the biggest reason we want you to serve at New City Church is because it is good for you. It is good for you to occasionally wake up on a Sunday morning on the weekend and you've had a long week and you're tired and you just want to sleep to get up and put other people before yourself and serve. It is good for your heart. It is good for your soul. Living for... The antidote for living uh, in sin is living for others. So maybe you should join a serve team here. Again, it's not because we want to fill a position. It's because we want you to see Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And the best way to do it is to be in a community where you are loving and serving other people. And so that being said, here's really uh, the, the bottom line for this text today. Again, as I'm looking at this and I'm like, 1 Corinthians 5, sleeping with your stepmother. I don't think that's going on at New City Church, although maybe it is. I don't know. And so I'm like, how is this relatable? Here's what I want us to know. And maybe this goes well with the fact that we're celebrating two years today of God's faithfulness. Here's what I want us to know from this text. Uh, that doing what is good for others is always good for me. Doing what is good for others is always good for me. For me. Think of this cliche example. Like maybe you've been a part of a, a mission trip where you went to an impoverished or a third world country. What do people always say the first time they, they go that, they go to places like that? 
I was going to serve others, but I got way more out of it. The irony about all this stuff that God has created us to be in community is that when we put other people first, even though it can be hard, even though sometimes it can be frustrating, even though it's tired and we don't want to do it, whenever we put people first, oftentimes we experience joy in life in ways that we would never have experienced if we were living for ourselves. Doing what is good for others is always good for me. And here's the good news of the gospel, that this is exactly what Jesus did. This is exactly what Jesus did, that he came and gave his life for us so that it's not that we have to strive and try real hard and pretend that we're perfect and hide all of our issues so that nobody will get mad at us. No, that God came because you and I are messed up and need grace and forgiveness. And he is inviting us to follow him with all of our junk, with all of our baggage. And so he's not saying be perfect. He's not saying pretend someone you're not. He's saying right where you are in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your shame, I came so much because I love you and desire a relationship with with you. And so come and follow me. Come and grow closer to me. Be a part of a community that it's collectively is trying to grow closer to me. It's not about not ever sinning. It's not about being perfect. It's about following me and trusting me in your life. And when you do that, that is when you see God move powerfully on your behalf. And I can't think of a, a better way to celebrate that than here at New City Church at our two-year anniversary. Because the reason New City Church exists is because people have been doing that from day one. And as people have come and as new people have come and got involved and served and give and got part of groups and all those sorts of things, they've been doing this. My hope and prayer, again, as I said in the beginning, that if you have come to New City Church and you've been a part of New City Church for any length of time, that you could say, yes, I've been growing closer to Jesus not because I figured everything out, not because I'm a great person, because I'm involved in a community that is honest about their brokenness, that is not full of shame, that is not full of judgment, that we're in this path of life together, trying to grow closer to Jesus together. The good news is that Jesus accomplished for us what we could not accomplish on our own. And as we follow Jesus, as we emulate Jesus, as we do what is good for others, we'll often find that it's exactly what is good for me. Again, if you're here today, here's what I want us to know, that God loves you, that God cares, that God has a plan for your life. I believe he has got a great things in store for New City Church, and it starts by us putting people first the way Jesus laid down his life for us. Again, doing what is good for others is always good for me. Let's pray.